Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is the Real Lives Untold podcast with myself, Sarah O'Connor. And myself, Trina O'Connor. We're focusing on all things crime and human interest, creating a space for people to tell their stories, the raw, unedited version. But we always had, you know, the concern that, you know, one day we'll get a guard knocking on the door and that guard will say one or two things. He's either arrested, the worst thing that could possibly happen from the guard is he says, or she says, look, he's, he's, he's at the door. In this episode, we speak with Dublin GAA legend Philly McMahon about his football career from kicking a ball in Ballymun to kicking it over the bar in Croke Park. Philly talks about his work in the community motivating young adults. He tells us the story of his dad who was shot in West Belfast during the Troubles and he recounts the tragic death of his older brother John in 2012 following a long battle with drug addiction. So up to dubs. I'm so pleased to have you here because I, I have two cop people with me here today, Sarah and Owen. Yeah. So now I have a dub with me today. Um, Philly, listen, it's so lovely to have you here today. We're so grateful, Thanks. aren't we, Sarah? Yeah, we really are. Thanks for making the time. Yeah, absolutely. No so You're a busy man. Uh, yes, you are. We were just talking about that. A lot of juggling. So I suppose sitting in front of us today, Philly, you're now a husband and a dad mm. And uh, things have moved on a lot for you from the Dublin days, I suppose. And it's not yeah. that long ago. How long are you retired? 2021 20, I retired. Right. Gosh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very Gosh. Two years ago, yeah. 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 I'm really old now. <laughs> <I've> <laughs> forgotten. And all. do you miss it? He kind of. Some some parts of it you miss. Like this time of year, you definitely don't miss because you're out. Oh. Now, again, most counties will be out kind of doing pre-season and maybe finishing the club season. But mm-hmm. we were very lucky that when we won in All-Ireland... We'd go away on holidays this time of the year. Um, yeah, won lots so, of all Ireland. Yeah, we won yeah. a few already. Yes, we know, Trina, we know. <laughs> we'd, lo- <laughs> we'd lovely trips because of that, you know. So when people give out about, you know, it's an amateur sport, you know, get paid for it like that. But the the jewel at the end of the year, if you win it, is you, you get a really exotic holiday somewhere. So you'd yeah, be to get on a few nice time of the year for yeah, that. Definitely, yeah. definitely. And you had some exciting days in Crow Park. What, yeah. what, what did that mean to you to um, represent your county? <laughs> I suppose looking back in hindsight now, like, you know, you can, you get the sense of really the influence I had on your community, your club, your family, your friends, you know, um, and your life, Mm. your career and everything. So that's the great thing about GAA, (coughs) particularly in Dublin, because it's such a big brand of of a county, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's got its, it's, it's veins and everywhere, you know, that way. Mm -hmm. So for me uh, to be looking back now, it was incredible, but you know, started my career that I wouldn't have thought any of that. Like, you know, with 16 years, we're not winning in All-Ireland and I just wanted to play. I didn't really 
you know, I wasn't really, at a young age, I wasn't really a big fan of Dublin. I went to some of the games. I never bought a Dublin jersey in my life, like, you know, so. True but, uh, Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so. But, <laughs> but I was very lucky to have an influence, uh, an influencer in Paddy Christie who yeah. played for Dublin and he coached me from a very young age. And then I grew up, the, the sport grew me much more then to get to the stage where I played for, you know, the, the underage teams and then. And, and that won't go to adult, um, Philly. It's kind of something that you've now brought as a thread through your own life because you're a yeah. role model within <clears throat> your community and you use your status in your community in so many positive ways. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the work that you've done over the years and what you're doing now yeah. within, within Ballymun, from Ballymun? Yeah, I suppose, I, like being from Ballymun, I've been given a lot of gifts, you know, and that I've been able to um, get, you know, look at the the people, the activists in the area. We'd be the, the world champions of activists in yes. the area, you know, because we've, yeah. been, we've had to have people mm. like, with that kind of energy in the area because of the issues we have and maybe the political neglect um, and obviously then people stand up and step up and, and I suppose it's only when you get to a maturity age where you realise oh no, no I have a little bit of that in me mm-hmm. and then having a sporting profile has mm-hmm. a bigger kind of you can raise uh, drive and yeah. motivation for you you know so I suppose when Dublin starts winning things or even when I was playing for Dublin it was just nice to be asked to go to a school to speak or but when I spoke about my brother John's addiction and uh, his after he passed you know that that's really where I developed the purpose and the sporting profile helped that massively yeah. like, you know, so you know every, you know you heard that one good adult but I had a lot of good adults yeah. you know and, yeah. and in reflection you have you know everybody that was around me influenced me whether it be good or bad so and I'm very thankful for that to, to where I am today and, and can we just to go way back? So your your dad was from Belfast, your mum mm. from Dublin. Yeah. Tell me how that came about, you know, and, and he ended up down here. Yeah, so my dad was from West Belfast. Um, my dad, at the age of 16, he was kind of growing up in the troubles that kicked off and there was civil rights marches uh, from the nationalist communities, of particularly of the north, but particularly the heart of uh, the north, which is Belfast, where the troubles really, really uh, was kind of rife. So... My dad was shot in the stomach when he was 16 by mm-hmm. the British Army. And that certainly influenced his direction and where he was going to go in terms of the trouble. So he then became a member of the the provisional IRA. Yeah. He was then incarcerated in, in uh, Long Kesh. Uh, he, he, apart him, with, I think there was 19 or 20 others, uh, tried to escape. One of the guys, I think his second name was Cooney. Um, I think he was shot and then he was up in court in Newry and they realised that the bars were all rusty and they basically escaped and oh. basically went on the run for 30 odd years ended up in wow. Ballymun met my mum 30 odd years yeah, yeah. until he passed away he was still mm-hmm. he was still on the run he was an immigrant Ballymun <laughs> wow so, and uh, your dad sadly passed away just, sadly, just yeah, before yeah. a final from what I can remember um, it's a couple of weeks yeah it? it was in July so it was a couple of months before mm. it but he so for years he would have struggled with the pains of his stomach mm. yeah um, can you tell us about the circumstances of the shooting yeah so um well like nothing really happened from it like you know he was it was shot by the shot by a, a paratrooper and back then there that was, was that accountability yeah, wasn't yeah. really there like you know yeah. still so, not still not really yeah. yeah and uh but, but but the direction he went then 
there was no real way of actually backtracking then to the mm-hmm. stage where he was saying like oh, I need to get justification for what happened to me mm-hmm. but um, yeah like so that's what you could say is you know maybe that was a negative pathway but for me mm-hmm. you know I was very proud of my dad's yeah. direction in life for the for the why he done it not what he did mm-hmm. but why he did things you know that he he stood up and tried to protect his community of Lenadoo mm-hmm. uh, nationalist uh, enclave there just off Anderson's town and um, he was brave he took his risk his life he mm-hmm. then had to completely move from his home because of his direction in life and ended up in in in, or, in, in uh, Dublin and Ballymore and, and I suppose and he was on the run or did yeah. he stand out you know no, in um, yeah well like I mean a lot of the working class communities in Dublin yeah. uh, safe housed Republicans mm-hmm. yeah. you know mm-hmm. Ballymore and Cabra mm-hmm. Clondalk and there was loads cool look and the inner city so you know you'd spot these people like you know and, and to an extent they'd still operate yeah you know because they still had a service to the republican uh, the Irish republican army and they'd have to do certain things and um yeah. well your dad wasn't active when he was down here for a number of years yeah well he would have had to be in for for the beginning in the beginning of yeah, yeah yeah but, but he uh, phased that out of his life yeah they do they do phase it out yeah, like because yeah. it's different. he was a family man then yeah. yeah well it's different down here you know it's it's uh it's obviously more active when you're mm, up the north, but uh, he would have had to travel up the north quite frequently, like you mm. know. And I would have went up with him on yeah. the train. He used to I think that was a big aware? influence on your life. W- yeah. w- were you aware of what them trips were about? Do you uh, remember? Not really, no, mm. no, no. Th- those trips would have been like I would have had to say his he's my uncle Frank. Mm. You know, he's not me. Not Phil, yeah, yeah, you know that's his name. Mm. And if the the British Army got on the train to check passport mm. or check check identifications, we'd I'd have to say that, like you know, and mm. then I'd have to speak. He'd tell me, like you know, when we we're in certain communities, not to speak mm. much, you know, because of it. Because it was unsafe. Yeah, so well, your accent. name you changed it. What? So your dad's name was McMahon. Uh, yeah. McCaff- Where does McCaffrey come in? No, Caffrey is my Caffrey. mom. Was my okay. mar- my mom's married right. name? Okay. And, uh, so myself and John had different fathers, biological yeah, fathers. Yeah. And um, so I inherited yeah. Caffrey. Yeah. Yeah. And it then was never you, my name. Yeah, yeah. You know, so McMartin was always my name. Mm. And uh, I suppose at a certain age in school, I said, no, I want my name to be McMartin. And mm, it's okay. difficult at times because you're kind of going, yeah. now I've changed over. It was it was my last birthday present to me dad. Oh. Couldn't really give him that. And so I said, look, I've changed my name off to Mac oh, Martin. Oh, so, did he love that? Yeah, yeah, And, and, and yeah. Walter White, your dad, was known Walter as. Walter White, yeah. And I remember, I remember watching you in Crow Park and, and it was before we knew each other, Philly, and yeah. I photos, I must show you, they're on my phone, yeah. of you and I, where I'm just so ecstatic, you'd won something and you had... I'm almost sure you had taken off your jersey and there was yeah. a T-shirt of you with yeah. Walter White. It was in tribute to your dad. That was yeah, 2019, he, am I right? Um, okay. Or was it 2018? 2019, I'd say it was. Yeah. Um, it was so oh, no, emotional. Oh, sorry, it would be 2018 when he passed. It was, we were so yeah. emotional yeah. proud, you know. Yeah, yeah he threw, one of my mates, uh, Tomas, uh, you've probably seen him once or twice. In yeah, the Ma- Mossy? Mossy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, Great lad, Mossy. Yeah, hard to go. Yeah. And, uh, he done a couple of t-shirts with Walter White saying he's here with you and they threw oh, around the Hill 16 fence oh, you know yeah, so special really was, yeah. Yeah. yeah no it was great because that that um, summer I think we won the National League and we were able to bring we him did. onto the pitch yeah, we were able to bring him onto the pitch mm. um, which was really special so very thankful and grateful to Crow Park yeah. and, um, he was a huge supporter of you wasn't he 
Yeah, like I suppose from a very young age, you know, him and my mum done a huge amount of work for me, like all parents do, you know. Mm. But well, not all. Uh, Philly. And was there most, just yourself, most. Philly and John, or did you have others? No, I have three well? sisters as well. Oh, yeah. Okay. So they knew what they were doing when the two of them left. They left me with <laughs> all the girls. You yeah, know? yeah. Uh, and then for a good good uh, while, it was all nieces. But now we've a couple of nephews. So yeah, yeah. God, the boys are so, starting to come back. So your it. son has some cousins. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, uh, there's there's three boys now. It's three. Uh, Jamie three up and coming footballers hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. oh yeah of course goes. yeah of course of course yeah and so can you tell us a little bit about growing up in Ballymun and yeah. you know the challenges but also the mm. fact that you really celebrate the fact that you're from Ballymun which is great and mm. and you'd like to I suppose diminish that perhaps stigma attached to being from Ballymun that you talk about well Ballymun was amazing it really was and it's very hard to on just one podcast to explain all I the know. Good stuff in the community yeah. but like it, it it was very very special like you know um starting off with this symbol of Ballymore which is the flats you yeah. know so at a young age maybe that would have been a negative thing you're from the flats or whatever like but looking back now the, the flats were amazing like you know because yeah. it it built such a tight community spirit that you could walk across to your neighbor literally five steps away and you're in their door and you just be able to walk in and out of your neighbour's house, yeah. like, you know, it's just the and way it was. Lovely, just it one was, big family. Yeah. It was really safe, and the heating system, because I lived in the flats, <laughs> yeah. as you know. Yeah. My parents actually squatted in the flats because wow. we were homeless, yeah. and they squatted lot, in the flats. Yeah, a lot of families yeah. done that, yeah. A lot of them had yeah. to do that in the 70s, because yeah. I'm a little bit older than you, a lot older than you. <laughs> so we, when we lived in Ballymun, it was quite new. Yeah. And it was just, my, my mum talks about the neighbours. If you didn't yeah. have something, somebody else did. Like, it was yeah. just this... Because they were kind of isolated. There was no amenities there. Yeah. So for everybody, while, yeah, like was... if one family went to the town, they got everything for everybody. Yeah. And the public transport wasn't there before your time. And it didn't get much better, but it is better now in terms well, of it's still, access. I think communities always just have their, there's always, you know, if you have a solution of one problem, another one opens, you know, that's just the way mm. it is. That's yeah. just the way the dynamics of a community is, you know, yeah. it's just never perfect. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But for us, um, for a good while, like, I suppose, you know, there was the issue with the surrender grant yeah. in 85 where yeah. a lot of people <coughs> that were financially stable and Ballymun moved out because yeah. they were given £5,000. Yeah. yeah. So that was that was a way of ghettoising in the area. It did, yeah. And people that were left there were people that were financially struggling, mm, people yeah. that were, you know, maybe tr- you know, had traumatic experiences in their exactly. lives or poverty, you know, so... Um, and then the drugs took hold. Well, then it was a really good place to sell drugs because mm. of that, because you had a lot mm. of people with trauma. And trauma, you know? yeah. So yeah, there was in no pain. probably regulation, there was no visibility there in terms of authorities, well, well, was, was there? Well, no, like even even the, the flat kind of had a, a law kind of set up like a... A street law, kind yeah. of, you know, mm. and but I think the the activists in Ballymun were the first to kind of recognise how dangerous the epidemic, the heroin epidemic was, and yeah. they set up, they blocked flats, and like they felt yeah, very they isolated. Done, they, I they, think they'd done things a little bit wrong. I felt, you yeah. know, the vigilante marches and stuff yeah. like that was a. In hindsight, yeah. In hindsight, it was wrong, you know. But at the time, they were so desperate. Yeah, well, the country didn't know how to deal with the drug epidemic. Mm. Still don't. And still don't, (laughs) yeah. But at that stage, what you were doing was you were educating young people Mm. that if you're seeing people that are on drugs or, you know, that were struggling that way, that you'd treat them badly. Yes. So it created a massive stigma. It did, yeah. And uh, 
you know certain language and terms are used over years then because of the younger experiences that they had from visual anti-marches you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. um and like the advice by professionals at the time because i was walking in the arena at the time was if there's somebody in your family on drugs just throw them out they, yeah they have to yeah. hit rock bottom yeah and oh stuff God. like that doesn't work. and when then well, once they've no support it's yeah. it's just yeah. catastrophic at yeah. that stage it's then the isn't opposite, it? yeah connection is the, is the connection is the key you know? and can you tell us a little about john then yeah. and, and his struggles and and the work that you're doing now as a result of that john, john struggled at a very young age and we put it down to a couple of things well he wasn't academic in school he was very like me he wasn't academic in school at all he wasn't really loved going to school never missed a day but was the class clown because I went I actually went to school a year younger than most of my my class because mm-hmm. uh, maybe I was a bit of a nuisance at uh, home you might have been waiting to get ready get him out get him into <laughs> school yeah, yeah. Him but, uh, and, and my way of not feeling stupid when a teacher asked me a question was domestic and outside the class yeah you know yeah. so I done that all throughout me, you know, schooling and, and John was similar. Like John, um, you know, when he was not in school and he was mitching from school, let's say he was getting involved in antisocial behaviour and stuff like that. But uh very easily influenced, I suppose, as well, with, with what was going on at that time. He grew up the timing was a crucial part for John as well because he grew up when there was a ray of scene massive rave scene mm, like and, ecstasy yeah and these these uh, like young people in Ballymun back then when the rave scene was huge in Ireland they didn't really have to go to raves mm. yeah It'd be raves at the field like, <laughs> you know it'd be amazing like you'd be so the place like, was on wheels it was yeah. unbelievable yeah. you'd be able to walk yeah. out of your flat out of block and then you'd walk up kind of the, the, the road and you'd see at the back of the field you'd see about 40, 50 young mm. people a radio there mm. drinking potential some of them doing drugs yeah. and it'd be amazing it'd yeah. be unbelievable and then the you'd, walk up, you'd walk up about 50 more yards up and then you'd have a lot of people up the other end same thing but listen to different music yeah probably yeah. UB40 mm-hmm. up there yeah. and Bob, Bob Marley <laughs> and then you'd have yeah, rave yeah, going yeah, on yeah. the prodigy down yeah. here like you know yeah. it was incredible but it's uh it it had Ballymon had a unique experience like that you know and John unfortunately <clears throat> grew up at that time Start to experiment with like a lot of kids. Um, I think there was a dislocation certainly with his own father, his biological father, you know, because um, he wasn't really in his life as much as John, I suppose, potentially wanted him to be, you know. Yeah. Um, so there was some sort of disconnection there, I think. That experimentation got a little bit deep, deeper into that cycle of addiction. So, you know, ecstasy, uh, acid, you know, cocaine wasn't actually no. heard no. of back then, you know, and then mm. it led to heroin yeah they yeah. used to smoke heroin to come down, down after yeah, you yeah. yeah and that's how a lot of them ended up overdosing yeah. yeah yeah so the heart would slow down completely to overdose mm. and, you mm. know so <clears throat> john um we then found out when john was in his mid-20s that he actually had schizophrenia so oh, no. there's a part of it that we think there was a self-medication uh, type yeah. element to it as well you know yeah. so it kind of it really does challenge our education and the way we treated john not that we treat them, uh, we're just bad people. The way we treated John, it was just that that was our education. Show tough love. If mm, John, that was it. Yeah. You know, the only one that didn't was me, man. Right. You know, and even today, you know, when you have a family still that will show tough love, the mother will never show mm, tough love. No. And you nearly think as a sibling that you know, Jesus, that's a weakness in your mom. Your it's, no, it's the way. Yeah. It, it's the way it should be done. Mm-hmm. <coughs> so. We take Mammy's too much responsibility. Yeah, yeah, we take too much responsibility. We, we as a family took too much responsibility of John's addiction. 
Okay. We thought we could control it and we couldn't. John was the only one that could control it. We just need to be there to support And, and he actually couldn't either, in fairness. Well, how yeah, long did it long go time. on for? And was he living at yeah. home or was or was he outside the home at that point? Or? When I when I wrote the book, <laughs> The Choice, we I had to interview some of his Which friends. Which is an excellent book, Philly. Yeah. And I would say yeah. to anyone listening, yeah. if you can read that book, mm. because it's so relatable, the story, and the way you've written that book, I think is an education. It should be in all the libraries. I hope it is. It should be in schools. It's an excellent book. So you wrote that book how long ago? Yeah. uh, God, when was that? Yeah, it's about 10 years ago. It's probably about, yeah, yeah, Yeah. it would be now, yeah. But we, like, when I interviewed his friends, like, my mum kind of thought he was dabbling with heroin at the age of 16, 17. Mm. Yeah. Because there's a cycle to where you take smoke and drink and then it's cannabis and then it's, Mm. as I said, back then, ecstasy, then onto whatever then on to heroin but he was actually he took his first head of heroin at the age of 14 right you know so his friend was telling me that they were in the lift and they took one of the older guys that they were hanging around with put his hand out so you can imagine the peer pressure like yeah. in a lift yeah. a lift that was jammed mm. take a bit of this they didn't know what it was thought it was liquid hash mm. and uh, didn't realise till later on when he started taking heroin that we actually took it that day at the age of 14 you know yeah. so <clears throat> yeah so that, that was the cycle John went on and um an addiction to it is thick and fast then, isn't it? It's, well, it's he obviously, he had a void somewhere psychologically there mm, that yeah. he connected with the drug rather mm. than, you know, being able to, you know, deal with the issues. Of the well, well, drugs well, it's, it's, it's the best painkiller, isn't it? You know, yeah. that's what drugs, drugs are. are. Drugs are amazing. Yeah, they, drugs they, are amazing. Yeah, they are. I've never yeah. took a drug in my life, mm. bar the ones that have been prescribed mm. by yeah, a yeah, doctor yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And I remember getting the appendix out and I got oxy cotton or oxycontin Oxy, yeah oxycontin oh my god yeah. don't go and I got it cotton, and I was yeah. like I'm still yeah. in bits here I'm still yeah. in pain here yeah. and then the doctor came in and said give him some morphine yeah. and it was the best feeling in the world yeah. pure heroin I, I'm yes. allergic I'm yes. allergic to morphine yeah. wow. would you believe yeah, I'm missing out yeah. I'm missing no, out no 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 <laughs> I've had it and it's nearly killed me Philly so you I, can empathise I can tell you yeah, that was the first time I experienced what my brother would have experienced that it was just a hot Bed of love, of yeah. happiness. Yeah, but he did and end that's up what clean. he was looking for because he had that void. He was yeah. just, even though he had you as family, but there was something missing in his life. It took, it took, yeah, well, that that, yeah. that was his connection. The yeah. drug, you know, and the schizophrenia, the schizophrenia as well, because he yeah. would have had auditory and he would have had hallucinations. So for him, it was a piece because it's very insidious schizophrenia. Yeah. But he did end up clean, didn't he? And he went to England at one he, stage, didn't he? What happened there? He he, he basically. Um, he went to London. The family said, look, his best friend had passed away. He'd been clean for two years. And, mm. and the family said, look, it's Ballymun. It's the area. It's the people he knows. Let's take him out of the, the community. And, and ultimately, he wanted to change as well. He yeah. said, look, I can't do this Fresh anymore. Dead. I need to and What to age change. was he at that stage? He was in his 20s. So he ah. would have been, um, I would say he was kind of like 22, 23 at that stage, yeah. I think. And then when he went over to London, it worked in, in many ways, obviously because, as I said, he didn't want to. But um, he wasn't really associating with people that were struggling with addiction as well. And he was over there with my cousin and um, didn't really, I suppose, look to buy drugs because he didn't want it, you know. He wasn't but moving in He was on methadone, yeah. Mm. So he was on methadone. That was his kind of start of his recovery cycle. And when, um, when he was struggling to come off methadone, so he would have found it really hard to get off methadone, much more harder than getting off heroin. A lot of say that, don't yeah. you? Well, it yeah. is a fact, yeah, yeah. That, that people that are going to recovery will find it harder to get off methadone than mm. heroin. Mm. So at times, you know, I'm sure 
um, again, this could be just an assumption in my head, but I'm sure at times that the times he went back onto heroin was really? for a couple of different reasons. First of all, he didn't like what he seen when he was taking the methadone, so he bloated out. Mm-hmm. Um, he probably it didn't give him the the psychological relief that he was getting from the heroin. Right. And he wasn't respected still when he was like in recovery because people were looking at him still as someone that's struggling with addiction. So he found it hard to get employment, found it hard to, to make new friends. Because when you see somebody that's on methadone, like they're very large, like they they're, they're are, big yeah. bloated. And they talk a lot. Mm. Right. They constantly talk. Like you don't get a word in, like and they just got this energy about them. They just keep talking, talking, talking. And the it's sugar. Total opposite. <laughs> Cup of tea with 10 sugars. Yeah. Yeah, a lot yeah. of them do that, don't yeah. they? Like. Uh, for years, there was a huge amount of sugar in methadone. Yeah. And you had to change it. It was yeah. like brown methadone, yeah. green methadone. Right. Yeah. But John used to have to... The terrible part about that time was there was a really disconnection with the with people that were struggling with addiction and the guard, mm. particularly in Ballymore, yeah. in my experience. John would go up to Donville House it's nicknamed the red brick it's still there in Ballymun and we lived in Slog so it'd be the other end of Ballymun so John would have to walk by the, the shopping centre where the police station was to go up and get his methadone and come back home and as a family that was the way we protected John was you know well my mum and dad not really us because I was younger but it would be like John go up and get your methadone come back here and mm. you know we'll keep you in the straight and narrow we'll help you in whatever way you can to an extent it was nearly like house arrest you know what I mean but it wasn't but but John used to go up and he used to get when he was on his like it got to a stage where my mum had to go off the police station and put a complaint in that there was particular guards stopping him every time he was going up. Mm. And it was a it was a particular band guard that stopped stopped him over and over and over again. And my mum just went up and said, "Look, what is your problem? Like, yeah. This fella is trying to yeah. change yeah. his pathway here. Yeah, support. And he had to go out to Bray then to get his methadone." Jeez. And he could travel out the Bray on the dart and he'd come back and have a big, massive bottle of Foy mm. methadone, right? And that was hugely dangerous. That was massively yeah. dangerous. Like, yeah. Because if he took all that, that could have. I could have yeah. died. But people. Yeah. They don't give it that way now. They no. give it only in shots. But now. It, it, like back then, there was a, people that went from heroin to methadone. When the heroin, when the methadone wasn't strong enough as, the, as much as the heroin, mm-hmm. they'd supplement. And that's so when they take sleeping did. tablets and yeah. all of it, or they get to a stage where they could sell methadone mm. and make money. And, and that was some people. That's why they made money in Ballymont yeah. selling their methadone. Mm-hmm. But once they sold their methadone, they were like, "Well, I need something for myself here. Yeah. Like, so I'm gonna have to take something like a sleeping like tablet or back on heroin." Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah. And, and when John went to England, I imagine there was a huge relief in the family. I imagine, yeah. like because wrongly. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Wrongly, like because, but understandably, yeah, yeah, like it, 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 it's because you're constantly worrying about him. Yeah, but it's false. Outside like, yeah, out of oh, mind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Outside out of mind. Mm. That was the key thing. When you when you mm. went to London, it was like I don't have to worry about bumping into people or walking down the road. You yeah, know, there was an embarrassment. Yeah. and that's the issue when we have. This and he policy. felt. Did he feel that? Do you think? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Like, but my friends loved him. Because I, mm. I was younger than my friends, but John was younger than his friends. So mm. we met in the middle and he started hanging around with my friends. Mm-hmm. And they loved him, no matter what. No matter what Was he a character for Kind of, yeah, he was. Like, he was big, he's 6'4". He was able to fight, Yeah, you know. Not yeah. that he went looking for trouble, but yeah. he was... When those lads needed protection or there was someone said something to him, he'd be the one that'd mm. stand up and go, here, listen. Yeah, I'm, yeah. 
you know, and uh, anybody you speak to about him, like particularly the neighbours of the of the area, they always speak so kindly of him, and, and they he, always he comes liked. back to the heart. He it, like yeah, it's such a big heart, like kind heart, you know, mm. and even like. There was a stage where he was at the depths of his addiction, like really bad. And um, one of the the neighbours was walking across the road and she had a purse and a bags, a shopping bags. And she remember, she told me the story that she, she'll never forget. She remember seeing John and he was really bad, like, you know. And when you see somebody that's struggling with heroin addiction, it's particularly nowadays, the alarm goes off and you have mm. a protection wall around you. Mm. You know, you're just like, well, stay away from that person, that dangerous. So that's what happened to her. When she's seeing John, she's like, is he going to try to steal her off from me? But he went over and he says, can I, I'll help you with the shopping. Yeah. So he picked the bags up and he walked off. And uh, when she got into the house, um, she said to John, John, uh, can I give you a few bob for helping me across? And he says, no, 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 no. She went, she said, I'm going to give, she went to get a purse and a purse was, wasn't there. Mm. Now, straight away she thought, he's had to rob me purse. Mm. And she said to him, oh, my purse is gone. And and he he just went like, what do I do here? She's going yeah. to think I'm at the robbing him. Yeah. So he says to her, can we just do us, two of us walk back here and see, yeah, did you drop the purse yeah. somewhere? Because if he walked off and picked the purse, when somebody else picked the purse and probably took everything and left it, he would have mm. got so they walked back across the road, they picked up the purse Thanks. and they walked back. And she just... A relief for she, both of them, I imagine. But the crucial part, she said, was, is that that was her the Immediate. best ex- education she ever yeah. had around judging. prejudging somebody. Yeah. And uh, she had a different kind of Outlook. perspective then for people that were struggling with addiction. You know? mm-hmm. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. So, and yeah. so was he back in Ballymun when he passed away? No, or? he was still in London. He was so, still in London, yeah. okay. So <clears throat> he passed away in 2012 and yeah. I think he was over there for four years. Okay. Um, now, he'd, he'd, he'd struggled over there with, with, as I said, the methadone and then heroin cycle kind of going back and forth and um, 
he was he stuck out like a sore thumb also because he was Irish, yeah. you know, in England and he was tall. Apparently, he wasn't. Yeah. They were living in a, a working class community over there, um, and there's a lot of racial issues over there. Really? You know, there's a lot of racist issues, sorry, over there, and uh, so he, he definitely struggled. Uh, and there was times before his passing that my mom would have said, "Like, get him home. Let's get him home. It's terrible where he's the conditions he's living in. It's you know, it's terrible." Like so, we're like, "Get him home." And, and we would have like me and my sister would have said like I know it's, we want to get him home but like does he just go back into the same cycle like you know we'd seen what had worked when he went to London we were hopeful that that was going to happen again mm. because every time he came home he'd get the bow home and me and my mum would go down and collect him at the docks and uh, he was he was funny you know like this, he'd start he'd be on the, the deck of the, <laughs> the bow singing <laughs> wow! And we'd be all we'd be looking tie up. Tie a yellow Jesus, ribbon, was it? Tie a yellow ribbon. You wouldn't know yeah. what he'd be singing. Uh, no, he'd be singing Tupac. Oh Tupac. my God! That's hey, so Mama, amazing. that's what he'd be singing to me, Ma. Like you know, oh. and uh, he was such a character. Like he just didn't give a shit about what yeah. people thought. Of him, I love like, that. You know? And yeah, I love it. I love that. that about him. But he'd come home, and as I said, you'd see him some Christmas very skinny. You know, he's on heroin. He'd come home. Other Christmas be bloated, he's on methadone. Yeah. But one particular Christmas I remember coming home and he was neither. He was just Fabulous. John. You wow. know, and I you have to remember like so he was seven years older than me. Yeah. So I didn't really see this person and as an adult. You know, yeah. I seen John as a young person that probably wasn't someone that struggled with addiction. But I'd never seen an adult John that didn't. And it was just like a new person. It's very hard to describe. Like yeah. it's, a, it's an incredible a feeling. A lot of our like, listeners will yeah. know, though, because yeah. when the person comes back to you, when they come come that kind of re- recovery cycle, mm. having spoken to a lot of people over the years, they talk about the hope that's in their eyes oh. and the hope for the potential. Yeah, and And that's probably the hardest thing for families to endure. Yeah, it's just years and years of weight, Mm. you know, and, you know, when you see that person in a much better space, Mm. you're kind of like, Jesus, this is incredible. Mm. And nothing else matters in the world. Mm. Nothing else matters. It's like you've won the lottery, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And day by day, it's, you know, it's a weight on you. You're just like, where is he? What's going on? What's happening? What's he doing? And then to see him, a, like a new person it's just for, you can't underestimate it. so anybody that's listening in that's struggling with addiction and you're you know you have to start off with getting things right for yourself but never underestimate the power that it has on your family your community mm. and your loved ones because it's I keep saying it like it's you could put all the energy and the, the celebrations into what I won in my career compared to seeing him that day it's just no, no comparison. comparison. And was that no long? Comparison. When was that? Can you remember what year that was? <coughs> no, I don't. I don't remember the year um, specifically. Like, but but it just stands out. It just stands out. That moment, not the, the actual time, the period, but the, the, yeah. the actual moment. moment yeah. Um, opening the, the door and going, "Oh my God, who's this person?" Like you know. Yeah. And he always said, like he always joked to me. I'll come home and the two of us will run by one and be like not mm. in a bad way but like nobody will come no, nobody, yeah. nobody will, will bother us and you know we protect each other and all that mm. sort of stuff like but he probably um, tried so hard I'd say the, yeah you can only imagine like that every morning that this is the, the to get rid of the any pain dog. or sick yeah. that sickness feeling he has he has to take this bag of heroin like you know mm. worth 20, 30 thousand pound or euro a year mm. nothing else matters mm. 
not even your self-worth, not even your no. your image, nothing matters, only this little bit of substance. And yeah. that, that, like, people have overdosed from taking drugs, mm. let's say heroin, and they've come back to life. And it's incredible to think that this substance is so powerful that you go back on it. Mm-hmm. You're taking something that essentially killed you, and yet you're going to go back on it. That's how powerful yeah. this is. And the, the strange thing is that we use love um, as the tool to try bring them back away from the addiction. But that's not even strong enough. And that's the strongest thing we have, no. is love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. But yeah, that doesn't even work. So tough love is the, be- is the worst way mm-hmm. of, of bringing the person back into mm-hmm. a different pathway, you know? And so how then did you find out? <coughs> you remember, obviously you remember that day and, and yeah. how did that happen? So I was, um, I'd set up my gym in Ballywood Kickham's GA club and I was PTing a guy and my mum is a typical mother who would, uh, she'd ring you a hundred times, <laughs> like straight after, one after another, one after another and you're just like, like you don't have to ring me that much. I'll ring you <laughs> back, you know, you, yeah, I'll ring you back. She loves you. But then she'd ring and she'd leave you a voice message and she'd say, oh, it's your mum, I, I know, I have your ident- identification on, I can see it. But that day she rang me once. Right. Oh. And then my sister rang me and I was like, okay, this is a bit weird. Because yeah. I wasn't answering the phone. I was yeah, doing PT. And, and uh, I, said, look, I said to the PT, look, can I just uh, ring this number back? Rang, rang uh, my sister back. And she said, John had passed away. You know, oh, So goodness. I got into the car. I, I was the, the PT, I was like, look, I have to go. Um, he says, everything all right? I said, yeah, yeah, it's grand. I have to go. I got in the car and I drove... Uh, just at the airport the Ballymun Kickers GA Club is and I drove down towards Ballymun and I went down just where the Ballymun M50 roundabout is I drove halfway around the roundabout and then I I drove fully around the roundabout and back up it was weird like I I, you were so I thought I, I thought it was like a deja vu type thing it was in total shock yeah. mm. and I went up and I started PTing your man continued PTing your man I was Weird, like I, I've never experienced shock, something. Tom, shock, almost was, outside your body. It was definitely outside my body. Yeah, because I walked in you know, and I remember the guy saying, "Yeah, let's go." Your man's like, in. your man's like, I was delighted I got out of that piece. Yeah. Now he's back. <laughs> <Those> <laughs> now he's back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I got a phone call then off my sister again. So where are you? And yeah. I was like, oh shit, it's reality. Yeah, you God. couldn't, you couldn't take yeah. it in. So too much. No, it was cr- incredible. Like so, I went down to the house. Everybody was there, and, um, and your poor mammy. Yeah, mm-hmm. ah, they were all in bits. Like, and I walked in, and uh, I just couldn't bear it. I just said, I "Can't look at this." Went straight upstairs, and uh, I think it was my dad came upstairs, and that was yeah. That's what you just told me. Look, he passed away, you know. Mm-hmm. So we'd kind of does does an does an extent when when you have a loved one that's struggling with with addictions, particularly, you know, everybody treats heroin addiction as bad as the worst. Let's say. When in fact most addictions have a terrible effect on people and, and it can lead to death. Yeah. But we always had, you know, the concern that, you know, one day we'll get a guard knocking on the door and that guard will say one or two things. He's either arrested and he's locked up, which is not like it's a bad thing for most people, but the worst thing that could possibly happen from the guard is he says, or she says, Look, he's 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 at the dying, you know? And um so as a family, we always had, you know, a, a 
it was always underlining there that like this could be a possibility, you know. Yeah. But we never thought it was going to happen. No. We still that, that day when it happened, we were just like, we didn't think it was going to happen. There's a finality to that as well, isn't there? Because you have so many ups and downs with somebody in addiction because they're so close to death so many mm. times. And um, sometimes for families, there can be an element of relief that the parents are, person mm. is at peace. And mm. like, and the, there's so much guilt associated yeah, with, with that. that. It must yeah. be turmoil yeah, in we, the, we the months and years yeah. afterwards. Yeah, well, we, we never... We never discussed that piece of mm. is he at peace now because... Mm. He was five days away from going into rehabilitation to come off methadone. Oh, no. And uh, he died from a heart arrhythmia, like, you know. So for us, it wasn't as if he was, like, really at the depths of his his addiction. And we were like, he's out of pain now. It was more like, I want to get rid of, I don't want to live this way anymore. I want to change. It was five days away. It was five days before my birthday. So he wrote me a card. He explained what he was going to do and all, you know. So, so we never, as a family, really said, you know, he's out paying now because it's just we knew that he wanted a change. We knew he he just didn't get a chance. That was his cards that and were that's dealt. That's tragic. Hmm. Yeah, that's the cards he was dealt. You know, you know, you have to. I suppose initially the family were distraught and we all grieved differently and stuff like that. We all dealt with it differently, and but for us, I suppose it's important as a family and certainly from my point of view to not be you know selfish and get after life because he doesn't have a chance mm-hmm. you yeah. know and now you're a dad and you have yeah. your own son mm. um this experience what are the lessons that you're taking into daddyhood yeah you know how like yeah. you know are you are you fearful for your yeah. son yeah definitely there's very little control and there's very little we can do mm. for our kids mm-hmm. when it comes to that world because yeah. the complexities are massive like you know so if tomorrow we could do a phd on how to parent kids to not go direction of criminal drift or mm. whatever it is addiction um you can't control that yeah you can't so you know you, i get asked all the time the question of like well what would you you know what would your advice be to parents for their for their uh, for their kids and to, to, you know if they're kids are messing about a little bit experimenting or they're you know getting to an age where that might happen and to be honest it, there's very little voice people can give because there's so many variables to it yeah you know so it's about creating that scaffolding though isn't it and creating that communication like communication really is the key yeah for particularly for the young people i work with so for for many of them they may get involved in criminal drift or organized yeah. crime gangs and they keep that secret from their parents and then it becomes so big that they're in it too deep. Mm. So it's getting them at that crucial point where they can come and talk to you. But see, the and problem between it is, you, you like, yeah. unless you go into a school, let's yeah. say, and you speak to every one of those kids mm. individually because yeah. they all have different lifestyles, different family backgrounds, yeah. different experiences, it's very hard to do it broadly, like, you know, because mm. um, the message we have been given from our parents and their parents and passed down through generations is don't take drugs that will kill you. Yeah. Yeah. But people still take drugs. Do, yeah. And it yeah. does kill you. It mm. does kill the same people, but yeah. there's a lot doesn't of people that doesn't, yeah. you know. And, and recently you were involved in the Citizens' Assembly. Yeah. And um, that was a, we were looking as as a country to look at decriminalisation and legalisation. So how did you think that went? What, what's your feeling on the report that's coming out now? Maybe 
you might tell some of our listeners some of the stuff that came out yeah. since, since assembly. Well, for me, it was a, a an unbelievable privilege to be involved, to be asked to be involved with the advisory board, um, because if there's one thing, I suppose I have to acknowledge is that I'm only a really small part of this whole um, conversation. Yeah, conversation, mm-hmm. but also the the sector mm-hmm. of drugs policy or drugs in this country. Like I'm only a tiny part and. There's so many brilliant people out there. So to be asked to be a part of it was was incredible. So I think, obviously, the reason I was asked was because of lived experience, you know. And that's so Yeah, important. that was crucial because there was a huge amount of brilliant academic people mm. out there. Mm. Um, so and the board. Balance. Yeah, mm. the board was, 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 there was lived experience on it and there was also academics on it, you know. So it was brilliant to be a part of that. But essentially, uh, what we had to advise on was the terms of reference that was created for the 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 look basically the citizen assembly on drugs policy which mm. which basically is you've got 99 people that would uh, be a small cohort that would represent the je- the demographic of the country right and uh and then essentially you bring all these experts in over six workshops so the workshops are um done over a weekend saturday and a sunday so they're like really long workshops they're like you know they're not um very intense for an hour or two it's yeah. it's the yeah. whole, whole weekend you yeah. know and uh they were done over the, the six months seven months sorry and there was six workshops and jim jim gavin chaired? jim gavin yeah. spoke that good, one of them no jim. Pa- paul reed was the oh, chair. Paul reed chaired, jim yeah, gavin brilliant. chaired the citizen assembly on the there was there was a, a topic mm-hmm. on the lord mayor of dublin that's right should yeah. be one lord yeah. mayor or whatever um so so jim was there jim spoke at at the this assembly as well yeah. but I suppose uh, it's a very dynamic topic. It's mm. not black and white. No, no. There's a lot of grey areas, and that's why we've so, so many issues. The crucial thing is, uh, at the end of the six, uh, the, the six meetings, the assembly said they wanted to change the status quo. They weren't. They were in the war on drugs is not working. Yes. Yeah. So the current policy we had, which was never research backed, which was promoted by the by the the the, uh, the US, and that was then integrated into Europe and the UN, and was heavily financed that way. We inherited that, mm. and that had never worked, and it got worse over the duration. Mm. I think it was since the seventies. I think yeah, it was forty years. Yeah. 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 So um, ultimately, the group said, "Look, we, from the experts that have come in and the knowledge we've and gained, the evidence. we don't want we don't want this." And then essentially said, "Right, okay. Well, what kind of model do you want to go after?" Do you want to go after legalization, decriminalization, which is progressive health led, which is just named differently because it's mm-hmm. much more broader. Decriminalization is only a word mm-hmm. and a part of what we kind of can be, I suppose, in a way, you know, we can be it can it can hide a lot of stuff. The Portuguese model is probably the it's it's a it's a it's known to be the most looked at, let's say, decriminalisation model. But it, if you're to speak to the guys in Portugal that are involved in the dissuasion committee, um, who I was very lucky to to uh, to 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 meet when I went over to Portugal in 2019, I did a documentary called The Hardest Hit. It was about decriminalisation yeah. of drugs. Um, so it's in- interesting that from 2019 to where we are today. You know the recommendations are we want a progressive le- health led approach, which is decriminalisation. It's good. Yeah, yeah. The, You're happy with it. I, I, I look. Everybody knew that I was pro decriminalisation. You know, yeah. from from 2019, and some people will question. Well, 
that person doesn't like decriminalization. That person does, but that's the is whole it idea it's of it. This blanket approach, or they see it as that, but actually, there's a lot of work and a lot of stages <clears throat> to get there. It's again, it's the dynamics of it, like yeah. you know. But ultimately, uh, people mix up decriminalization with legalization. Yes, do, Philly, yeah. yeah. Legalization means we regulate it. Decriminalization means you're not charged or incriminated for personal use of drugs. Yeah. Um, so essentially, what happens is, um, if you have a personal, you know use of drugs on you and the guard pulls you over you you could basically the guard will confiscate the drug and basically say right okay you have to go to this is important by the way you have to go to the dissuasion committee and you'll go in, into an office block not a guard station not a court and they'll sit down on it just like we are here in front of, in front of each other over a table and they'll be asked simple questions so I sat in one of these meetings and there was a guy there and they just asked him have you you know, have you got problematic drug use? And he said, no. I said, okay, it's, there's a small, there was a fine there. Um, yeah. And that's it then. But if he said yes, they would give him uh, support to go into a right. rehabilitation program. And they wrap support around. around. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's the key. The multidisciplinary it's is the, the best multidisciplinary thing approach. Yeah. That wrapping around of support. Well, we're not great resource. at that here. No. And no. that's resource heavy. Yeah. Um, and and I suppose for you, I was the Tony Duffin went with you from Analytics. Tony went over. Yeah, yeah. Tony, yeah. fabulous advocate yeah. for decriminalisation, yeah. an amazing man. Yeah. And they have been campaigning for an injection centre, and I think yes. that's finally got to go ahead. Yeah. Um, and it's all about that stigma that you started off talking about, Sarah, that yeah. stigma. Well, this breaks down the, the stigma. The, mm. the recommendation. Now, the recommendation is just a recommendation. It doesn't. Mm. It's now over to the Oireachtas Committee. I know. This is yeah. the difficult part now. Yeah. Um, what I did identify really with the Citizens' Assembly is this, that the stakeholders that were brought together over the six sessions, if you brought all them together, it would be an incredible power sector in mm-hmm. this country. The problem is it's completely disjointed. Yeah, they all work mm. in silos. Because yeah. of the way it's being set up. The way the yeah. system has set it up where they're fighting for their funding, they're fighting for supports, all that sort of stuff. They've basically, I think, I don't, I'm not going to say it's a conspiracy theory, <laughs> but, but essentially they've been, it's like playing a football match and saying to all your players, go out and play the way you want to play, not the way we should play yeah. together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and essentially then you're going to lose yeah. so um, but a lot I of these decisions are really political. disjointed yeah. they yes. are political and yeah. it's the way our cycle works yeah. and yeah. it's the way the electorate works and yeah. if you go to a working class community that don't vote and people say my vote yeah. doesn't matter I mean yeah. I am so mm. and if they bring that in will yeah. they lose votes it's yeah. oh well yeah. I think the, the, the big thing that should come from the assembly is that the people the stakeholders should come together yeah. and their voice should be much louder yeah, I think that's mm. the issue. The voice yeah. isn't loud enough because mm. it's definitely the people that are on the streets that are struggling with addiction or any other. Addic- they're le- they, their voices are completely mm. neglected. They can't yeah, advocate for so, themselves. So they're, they're struggling to 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 get by. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, ho- I hope from from the citizens' assembly that those stakeholders will come a little bit tighter together and hold the Oireachtas Committee that was created okay. for the citizens' assembly and drugs policy. That they yeah. would hold that those politicians to account so there it's is all a, about lobbying now isn't it and to an to extent but there is a will there within certain politicians 
Um, oh, there is. There's a will there yeah. for change. Ah, yeah. There is a lot of politicians there that are, are progressive very, very in yeah. terms of their yeah. approach. Aon O'Reardon is great. Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't yeah. want to name one because there's so many. Yeah. 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 There really yeah. is. Yeah. Micheál Martin came out and said yeah. you should yeah. decriminalise. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, yeah. So it's then down to do, do, do the politicians now do what they've always done, which is put a plaster over a broken leg? Yeah. Or do they really have courage and bravery to say, hold on a second, this is not really about us. Mm-hmm. this is about this policy should be about the people that are really matters yeah. it's yeah. the people that are struggling with mm-hmm. yeah. whereas we have a policy that is for everybody else bar the people that struggle with addiction yeah yeah, yeah. and you have written we talked about the book that you wrote earlier on The Choice yeah. and you've written other books as well well the choice we did it The Choice and what happened was um, a lot of people were asking the question is that appropriate for my kid he's she's mm. under 13 whatever it may be yeah and we were constantly getting asked that and so we said well let's let's develop a children's uh version of the choice mm-hmm. and we had a kind of a more a small kind of spin-off of of uh the kind of a fiction kind of element to it but the great thing was when when we wrote the choice it was there were so many stories that we didn't include just we just hadn't got enough space so a few of those stories are actually in the the, the younger version, the younger readers version. So Brilliant. it was great to be able to go back to those stories. That, is that the halftime talks? That that's kind of what it's called, is it? Well, no. The 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 whole structure of the book is based off like so. If you read the book structurally, like it, like if you just look at the way it's set, um, it's not like a normal book. So you have a first half, a half time, and a second mm, yeah. half. There's no real like this is chapter one, chapter two. Chapter yeah, three. it's a first half. Yeah. John passed away. Mm. Here's the half time, and then yeah. the second half yeah. is this yeah. one. Um, so that's the way that worked. But that's way that's the name of the charity halftime talk. Yeah. It's great yeah. because of that, you know. And so. then also you had there was a documentary series mm. this year, earlier this year, actually yeah. very recently. Yeah. Gaelic in the Joy, and you're also coaching. You continue to coach prisoners in Mount Joy. Yeah, so I, I've been in Mount Joy. I think about nearly eight, nine years now, and yeah. uh, that's flew in, you know. But it's it's, I suppose for me people kind of ask well, why are you, even the prisoners why, why are you doing like, why are you here still like you know <laughs> why are you but, yeah, You're so what are you busy. doing but yeah. I suppose I had a pur- I developed a purpose from speaking about John's addiction and uh, I would always think you know if John was in prison now or if John was struggling mm-hmm. you know outside of prison he was on a certain dire- direction wouldn't it be great to have somebody with a sporting profile to intervene or to have a small impact maybe in the direction of the life he was going? Um, so that's what I'm looking to do with my purpose in life. So, you know, the first part was to set up a charity for at-risk youths by using uh, business and sport and do uh, uh, courses and programs um, to try help young people. So that was the first part, which is actually probably in the middle of the spectrum mm-hmm. because you've got early intervention, then in the middle you have at-risk youths and then the other end of prisoners. So then the second part was to start working with prisoners and to use their stories and, and use their experiences to then also not only impact them, but to go right back to impact the communities and the younger people that they see coming through um, to break that cycle. So so that's one element. And then the, f- the, the last piece for me, which myself and Trina are, are, yeah, are doing, is we're, on, def- yeah. we're working on a, a research project yeah, uh, we have been for yeah, a number for a of years while, now. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. so so hopefully this year we're getting we'll, there. Yeah, hopefully twenty twenty four we'll we'll definitely yeah. do that and see how it goes. But uh, 
that spectrum for me is 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 incredibly uh, it's 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 purpose for me in life that's your motivation yeah, and yeah, yeah. I yeah. think yourself and the, and the lovely uh, Rory O'Connor good Rory. good name that's Sarah isn't <laughs> that's it us <laughs> O'Connors um, lovely Rory right. who, who was wonderful in the documentary yeah. you did a piece that really stuck out to me and I, I remember texting you afterwards and I couldn't help but text you and I know it was late yeah. but I had to tell you how I felt because I thought the piece that you did around the restorative justice piece was so powerful and that lady that did that piece, I'm sorry, I don't remember the lady's yeah. name. Um, she was speaking about her, I son. think it was her son. John, her, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that that, I hope that that resonated with people that, you know, when somebody goes to prison doesn't mean that they are always going to be a menace, that there are pathways back for people. Um, and I think that documentary is still available on the RTE player. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And if you haven't seen it, like there's a lot of lightness in it as well. There like there was, mm. yeah, there was crack. There was crack in it, yeah. yeah, there yeah. was like in and, yeah. uh, the and characters. There's a huge appetite in oh, this country great, great from characters. Yeah. wanting to see inside the prisons and what goes yeah, on there, there and the characters. Yeah. Dynamically, it's very like for that to happen was incredible. Like, mm. you know, yeah, it, it, it never happened in this country for a particular reason. Yeah, yeah. It just never happened. Like it's just so dynamic. Like it's yeah. just, there's so many moving parts. Yeah, you have prisoners that. And I said this to Rory when he first sat down himself and Jamie, who was the producer. Said, we sat down and we said, like, they were like, "This is a great idea. Let's do this." And I was like, "This is not going to happen. Mm. This is so mm. hard for mm. this to happen." Like mm. you know, but it was brilliant. We went, we went and uh, pitched it, and it worked. And as I said, like we'd go in one week, and there'd be two prisoners gone to an open prison, yeah. and you'd be like, "We're well, yeah. only four or five prisoners That's now." It. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But weather, I think, in fairness to the prison service, they're much more open to that now. They are, yeah, 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 and like, they see the that, benefits. It would have never happened. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and SIPS were oh yeah, open oh yeah, to, oh yeah, to do yeah. And they see the benefits of society yeah. looking in yeah. and, and and seeing this work that's being mm. done in, on the inside. Yeah, so well, I think it's kind of getting there also now. to see, you know, when you do these things, it's generally directed towards the prisoners, which is what people want to see. Mm. But yeah, but I think what was important was that we we showed also how difficult it is for the prison staff. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's a difficult job. It's a very hard yeah. job. Uh, I'm there Tuesdays and Thursdays. I go in and, it's, you know, mm. some you, you, you're, you're walking around, a, 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 you could say it's a mental health institute, really. Yeah, like, yeah it's a facility. It's, and you're on hyper, you know, hyper yeah. vigilance all the Big time. time. yeah. And then you brought yeah. in the Dublin lads as well and yeah, they, tried they, to, they tried to massacre them, didn't they? <laughs> on a concrete court. Yeah. It, it's a great, it's yeah. a great programme. Like the, the whole, idea. The whole mm. prison was actually, uh, all the other prisoners, like we couldn't put them in yeah, to the course. camera because we did still have permission to have yeah. them all on it. Yeah. But um, when they walked out of the, out of the, the landing yeah. onto the, onto the, the Thermocad um, what you don't see in the, on the actual the, the, they didn't capture like shifting her all the way down to where all the prisoners were because you could see the Dublin lads just looking at the, the team yeah the yeah. machines team yeah and then you see them all looking to the left and you see the whole the whole prison there <laughs> and you could see the whole face just drain like, <laughs> oh shit like, yeah, you know. yeah. but the, but the Dublin green. boys yeah oh, for them to be able to reach out to them and say will you come in and mm. uh, and on a concrete on like a concrete. how did the manager yeah. allow yeah. that feeling but yeah but that's oh. all we had we were slipping yeah. we must have burst about 30 or 40 foot bolts yeah because wow. it was yeah. just hitting the fence and board like, yeah. yeah it was yeah. It, it was probably spent the force on, probably <laughs> spent the whole and the injuries after the amount of it, yeah. and I suppose um, to finish up Philly like 
you've so many strings to your bow. And I know you've got the gym and, and I'm in the gym with the yeah. lovely Emma. Yeah. Um, did you notice how svelte is that yes. the word? Svelte. 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 And how strong I am. Yes. So the lovely Emma is looking after me in the gym there. So, um, yeah, you've got all of this stuff going on. But if I was to ask you what the one thing is that's most important to you right now, mm. what would you say that is? Be careful now, because you're married now. If I have to see family, doesn't it? <laughs> of you know, course. It's, it's a, it's a part. Of course, that's it's, a given. Yeah. But in your work. In work. Well, I suppose the key thing for me was like, I played 14 years of dubs, 40 plus hours a week I was given to sport. Mm -hmm. That's gone now. You know, and I'd play little bits with the club, maybe played a little bit of soccer. But um, so footballers generally would be crap at spending time with their family. Right. They've been, I suppose... Habitually, they got get to a stage where they're like, the family need to take a sacrifice, a sacrifice for for your sport. So the family is the crucial thing for me, yeah. and I'm still not great at it. But that's the that's the first part, and uh, I suppose I don't know. Like I'm mm. I'm just I'm just very lucky to be able to be in a position to um, do the things I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Like so, I've the gym, I've the food company, I've the cafe. Um, I'm we, doing we've got our research, a lot research of juggling. project. We've yeah, you can explore so, so many more. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I'm that type of person that's very excited for the unknown. Yeah, you know, I don't yeah. really, don't really want to be funneled into something specifically. Yeah. But I know why I'm doing certain things. Mm. Once it comes down to the why, mm. I love the gym. Mm. I don't do it to be a millionaire. I do it because no. I love it. I've been doing it for sixteen, seventeen years. Mm. You know. Mm. Um, generally, all my work is around people. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the yeah, that's the big thing person. for me. You know, it's about and people. hugely optimistic. If you don't mind me saying, I mean, your, yeah. your optimism for and your your value in life. I think yeah. I don't know if that's something to do with your history and your background, mm. and or if it's just who you are. But you're an absolute pleasure to be around. And, yeah. And, and and I think seeing people progress that's yeah. what you that's yeah. where you get your Definitely. voice from, isn't yeah. it? And if yeah. you're part of that, yeah, well, even I do say that that definitely stemmed from your parents. Like, you know, yeah. my mm. dad. His purpose was his, his nationalist community of Belfast. Mm. My purpose is Ballymun. Mm -hmm. um, mm. And I just, I suppose, and I'm very, again, I've been exposed to adversity, which has let me be educated on, you know, that at some point there's an opportunity from adversity. Yeah, you know, of that's course. something will benefit from it, you know. So, yeah. and yeah. if people want to get in touch with you, Philly, about the half time talks. Don't touch, don't, don't leave me at all. I'm too busy. No, no, I'm joking. You do have the website. Yes, the website yeah. is there and, and, and it's social media. Half time talks, half time talk, yeah. And you're on Instagram and, yeah, and exactly, all of the. Yeah. Are you on Tickety Talk like us? Uh, I'm on TikTok for some of the business not period oh, I am actually on TikTok I yeah. just realised that that shows yeah. how much I use yeah. it yeah. but yeah I'm on TikTok yeah. as well my little yeah. sisters give out I call it Tickety Talk, tickety -talk. Um, do a Tickety Talk with me Philly <laughs> an absolute pleasure thanks, thanks so, so much for coming thank you appreciate it thank you you can contact us on social media at Real Lives Untold. Our email address is reallivesuntold at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe to hear this season's episodes every Wednesday. You can listen on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.